0: The Son of God goes forth to war, a kingly crown to gain. His blood-red banner streams afar, who follows in his train, who best can
1: drink his cup. Welcome to Death and Glory. Death and Glory podcasts exist to remind Christians to love our King, die with honor, and live with hope and perishable. Christ has been raised from the dead. I'm Jordan Parks. I'm joined by my illustrious co-host, Peter Rasmussen. And we're excited to have back on the show Gary Scott for part two of our conversation. Uh, Before we get started, however, we wanted to remind you, please go check out Puritan.pub. It's a digital safe haven for Christians seeking a social media alternative to big tech. It was developed by a dear brother of ours, Aaron Shafawaloff. It's a great way to connect with other believers. Open your browser, go to puritan.pub/terms for more information. So, part two of our conversation with Gary Scott, uh, we're gonna get a little more informal, get into some personal stuff on how um, how it feels to be the age that you are, uh, and kind of what's going on in your life, and run us through run us through some things that have just been weighing on your mind and just some wisdom that you can impart to some of the younger generation. So um, let's start with, with pastoral experiences. What are some of your experiences just pastoring through death? What have some of those looked like, positive and negative?
2: Yeah, we uh, recognize the fact that uh, in our evangelical culture, even in the Reformed evangelical culture, there are two negative tendencies in regard to death. One is to sentimentalize death, Mm -hmm. you know, and uh, uh, romanticize it. And the other is to escape it, you know. And so, uh, for instance, uh, it was common. I spent a number of years pastoring in the South. uh, And the previous generation, it was common when a family member died that the family member would be laid in the house for two or three days for people to come and visit with the family. And there was a, a sense of reality that death is not just sanitized and pushed off some way, but it's here, you know, and and that moved from the home then to the churches. And, you know, it, they realized, well, you know, small children seeing, you know, Uncle Joe laid out there in the, in the parlor was hard. Uh, And they moved it to the church, and then eventually it moved to the funeral parlor. You know, so now all of those things are cleaned up and sanitized, and you're not faced with a striking reality of death. The reality is no one can escape that. And the second problem that I see is it's romanticized. As if death is this wonderful uh, graduation, you know, mm. from some kind of uh, uh, a substandard existence now to this wonderful ethereal, you know, life ahead. Right. And and so I think it's important that we push against both of those. Uh, and so in pastoral ministry, you cannot escape that, you know. And so I, I dealt with that. Uh, most families will deal with six, eight, ten deaths you know in their lifetime of a, a sister, a spouse, a parent, a, an uncle. Uh, and, uh, but I have experienced thousands of them, mm-hmm. not my own, you know, but being with families and and, uh, and and losing people in the congregation. So it's caused me to think deeply about that. And I mentioned to you all earlier, I actually have this little black booklet. It was actually my grandfather's little notebook. My grandfather was a bivocational pastor for about 35 years, and uh, and he gave me some of his stuff, and I actually wore that out, and so a friend of mine in uh, Chattanooga actually took and rebounded it, and a nice leather binding on it, but it kept the ba- ba- the basics there. That has all my stuff that I've done with my funerals, the, uh, the things that I've done, and I've had... A number of people tell me that I do my best preaching at funerals. Hmm. And the, the reason for that is not that I, I, I enjoy death or, you know, it gives me something to do. It's the fact that when death
0: comes,
2: you have people that now are thinking about things, about the, the fact that life is a gift. You know, death is certain. We don't know when it is, but we know that it's certain it's going to come. And so uh, when uh, we would have a, a member of the church that would die, we would have church members that would come, but we would probably have half to two-thirds of the people coming that are not Christians, you know, they're part of the family or, or work associates, and I know that they're not, you know, they're not going places where they're going to hear the gospel. So this is an opportunity. And the focus of this was never to magnify and glorify Fred, you know, that now uh, we're having this memorial service. It was to say Fred was a great guy because Christ loved him and changed his heart. And so I would use that as an opportunity to set forth the gospel. There's nothing glorious about death. You know, death is our last enemy. And uh, almost every funeral I do, I say, you know, uh, uh, death doesn't have the last word. You know, we tend to think death is final and the resurrection of Jesus Christ says, no, it's not final. And so what death and the memorial services and the various things that you do, it gives us opportunity to celebrate the gospel. On Sunday at Faith Community, I had the opportunity to preach because Pastor Logan was not well. And, uh, and so I focused on the First Timothy passage that says the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Then he goes on to say, well, what's the truth? It's not a concept. It's not an idea that's true as opposed to being false. It's not a, a fact that's true as opposed to false. It's not even existential that Jesus is the truth. But what he sets out there." is the whole redemptive work that Jesus was incarnated, that Jesus was raised from the dead, that Jesus is ascended into heaven. And, uh, and so uh, death provides an opportunity where the gospel can go forth clearly that we can talk about uh, uh, the hope that we have that life is stronger than death. And I would often go to the, uh, the passage in John uh, where uh, uh, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. You know, whoever believes in me is not going to die. Whoever believes in me and dies, he's going to live forever. And, and it opens it up. So uh, death presents an opportunity in a pastoral dimension to connect with people. And not only at the funeral, but leading up to that, you know, many, many times, you know, I spent uh, uh, days, weeks, months uh, in terminal situations in being able to minister to families, to be able to give them hope, to be able to help, uh, you know, this man or this woman to face God and to realize, you know, that, that there is hope you know, beyond just we're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember particularly in South Carolina, there was a young family that had uh, a, uh, a child uh, that had the Down syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, they were in the hospital. It was not a, a major illness. And I was there. The child was two or three at that point of time. And for some reason, you know, I just shared with them, uh, you know, the hope is not just that uh, the child is going to get well, the hope is there is an eternity ahead. Uh, And that child died later on that day. No one expected that. And it wasn't that somehow I was smart enough to know what everyone else didn't. It was somehow that conversation, the spirit guided that, and it brought a comfort to their heart that... I would speak to them about that, and they had some foundation, you know, that that they could kind of hang on to, that it wasn't a hopeless situation. Uh, we had another situation uh, where there was a, a young girl that was born without an artery from her heart to her lung, mm-hmm. and she spent three years, uh, maybe fifteen or twenty open heart lung surgeries, and uh, at three died. I had to do that funeral. You know, and it was one of the hardest funerals. And there were hundreds of people that were there. You know, everyone knew about uh, this young gal. And, uh, And here was an opportunity again to point the goodness of God, even in the midst of this. You know, God determines the number of our days. You know, Job says that before we're ever born. He determines the number of our days. And again, it gave me an opportunity not just to speak to people, but an opportunity to showcase the gospel and show how this undergirds that. And in another situation, there was a young man uh, in another city. I, I won't identify it any more than that. He was in prison, and uh, uh, he was there because of armed robbery. And uh, his parents were believers, and I had an opportunity to uh, uh, go in and minister to him. And he was very resistant to anything that I had to say. You know, he had been down that route, and he kind of abandoned that, and somehow God got hold of his heart, and it turned him around. I don't know if he was saved at that point, or whether, you know, he'd been saved earlier, and that was the turning point of getting back to that, Uh, but uh, long story, uh, he ended up marrying a gal, you know, in our church. had several children, uh, and uh, just a, a glorious answer to prayer, and then He went back into his old dark world Mm -hmm. with the thugs and the drugs and all the rest of that. And as a young guy in his 30s, I got a call. Actually, it was on my birthday that he had died. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they called me to do the funeral. And, you know, uh, everyone knew about the situation. What do you say? Well, again, you go to the gospel, you know, and one of the things I, when he was in prison, we had lots of correspondence, lots of things that he wrote to me. And so when I did the funeral, it wasn't just me saying, well, let me tell you about him. Uh, I said, let me let him speak for himself. You know, And I read various quotes and poems and things that he did. And, and there was a power in that, that ministered encouragement to the family and many believers that were there, and I think it was a witness to the gospel to many of the friends from the dark side, you know, that that he had abandoned when he came to faith and got married, and but then he was drawn back into that. Uh, and and so when when I I think of of death and how it fractures and shatters lives, it makes me happy, you know, that I can present a hope you know, that is much stronger, you know, than the hopelessness, the sadness, the grief that overcomes them. And one of the things that I've learned is that grief cannot be managed. You know, and one of the things that some of the popular psychology and and stuff, you know, they'll kind of give you a pattern of you're going through this and then, you know, they'll have six or seven cycles of this. And I've realized you, you cannot manage this. You know, you can trust God through this. There are the ups and there are the downs. Uh, and, and and what's difficult is, you know, when you're a pastor, it's not like you have a job and these are the people, you know, your employees that work for you. And mm-hmm. so you go there to, you know, to show your respect. These are people that are like my family, you know, that, that I love them as much as I do my own family and so you're wrestling with the emotion, the the heaviness, the loss that you feel, you know, and, and there are times that I would just get choked up, you know, and you're not supposed to do that as a professional, you know, you, you don't want to do that, well, you know, that's not a time to, you know, put on a face, you know, and project an image, that's a time to be real, you know, and there are times that it's legitimate to shed tears, you know, and 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 to be angry, you know, I think of the, the, the passage in John where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he went to the tomb and he was angry. You know, he's angry at the ugliness of death and how it's connected with sin. And so uh, those situations give us an opportunity uh, uh, to do several things. First of all, to think about God and how he fits into this and how my sin plays into this whole death works thing you know, it gives me an opportunity to look at myself and realize one day I'm the one that's laid out there. You know, then I think it also gives me an opportunity to think about other people, you know, that person that's dying that I've been with for the last three days or the last three months or the last three years in some cases, and to see them go on to glory. I think of an elderly man that had been a pastor, uh, and uh, he lived right next to the church, and uh, he got caught in a cycle of just getting drunk constantly, you know, couldn't do the pastoring. And, you know, we became really good friends. And and he sat down with me. He was dying of cancer. And he asked me, he said, I want you to tell my family some things I haven't been able to tell them. You know, and I, he was a genuine believer. So that was an opportunity, you know, to kind of share the regrets. You know, you, you talked about, you know, oh, there's some regrets. He had some regrets in life that he couldn't express, but I could express some of those things for him. You know, so it's just, it's just been interesting. You know, I could tell you, you know, go for hours and tell you stories, you know, of, of different situations like that. But I think with me, uh, uh, what has been beneficial to me and ministered to me is those are opportunities you know, to to bless other people, opportunities to magnify the gospel and and plant seeds of hope. Uh, And so, as I said, I have this little notebook that has probably 50 different uh, uh, various uh, uh, funerals and and, uh, uh, services that I've done. And when I see those, it's not just, you know, the verse that I used or the message, it's the person's name. You know, it's the family, it's the relationship that was there. And so death makes us realize that everything that we have is temporary in the sense. And those who think that, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm solid, I'm good, don't have anything to worry about. Uh, they don't know what tomorrow holds, you know, and you can be 30 years old and perfectly fit And cancer hits you and you're dead six months later. You know, think of one young mother, two beautiful young children, Christmas time, finds out that she has uh, cancer. She's gone by Easter time, Mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, it's an opportunity to minister through that. It's an opportunity to minister after that. How do they put their lives back together? You know, so when uh, uh, most people's approach to death is very different than that. You know, they want to stay away from it. Now, I don't want to jump into. I don't want to see anybody die. But the reality is people are going to die. And to be able to be there, to weep with those who weep, just as you rejoice with those that rejoice. So I count that one of the great blessings uh, for me in ministry that I've been able to be with dozens, probably hundreds uh, of those that, you know, I've uh, ministered to, uh, ministered to the family And uh, boy, I would encourage anyone, you know, when you have a a family member, a friend, we're very often fearful. I don't know what to say. And when I tell people, you don't have to say anything, you know, just your presence, just go there and be there, you know, and don't be afraid that something is going to be awkward and see what God opens up. You know, and, and I remember this one uh, young girl that I told you about. She was in the hospital one year down in Emory for, I think it was 275 days out of the year, that year. And it was a, an hour and a half drive down and, and back for me. And I remember uh, often I would take the family with me. So we would have, as it would be a, you know, a, a six, eight hour day you know, by the time I got there, visited and so forth, I would take them with me and drop them off at a the mall. They would go eat. And then we had some family time together. And uh, one day Ann was going with me and we actually stopped and I had promised that I was going to bring her a gift the next time I came. And so uh, Ann reminded me, well, did you get the gift? I said, I completely forgot about that. And so we stopped at some little store along the way, and, and I got this, uh, 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 this uh, gun that shoots darts, you know, shoot against the wall with a suction cup on it. And she said, she's not going to like that. And, <laughs> you, you know, the neatest thing was, I, I gave that to her, and she was in this room that the, 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 the door to the hallway was glass. And the nurses would come by and look at her and she'd take that little thing and shoot one of those darts and, it, you know, <laughs> how it sticks in there. And, you know, I look at that and say, you know, that wasn't a big deal. That was a little thing. And, and with Anne being there, she reminded me of what I would have forgotten. And I remember her saying as we went down there, uh, and that was actually, I think, another time that she went down. She said, I don't know how you do this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's so hard, it's one thing when somebody is ill for two weeks, and they're going to recover, it's a different thing when it's terminal, and they're not going to recover, there are no simple words, and she said, that was so hard, I said, hey, today was a good day, Mm -hmm. you know, you're there, and you realize, you don't have anything you can say, that's going to make it better, you're not going to tell a joke, that's going to lighten it up, it's just a matter of being there and letting your heart—you know—I uh, uh, don't even know how to say it—just let your heart connect with their heart, mm-hmm. and there's a there's a kind of bond that it's just a, a precious opportunity,
1: I value. Amen. For. For us, describe what it's like for someone 74, right? I got yeah. that right? That is right. What is it like approaching that physically, mentally, spiritually? You know, I, I think in in
2: my life, uh, uh, because everything I do has been shaped, you know, in, in dealing with death, uh, that this is not something that I'm preoccupied with. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I ignore or, you know, just push out of my mind. It, 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 it's more shaped by uh, what Paul said. You know, the day of my departure is here. You know, I, I have lived my life. I have fought the fight. I finished the race. And so I think my focus is recognizing I'm in God's hands. You know, whether, you know, I'm here a year from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, I'm in His hand. He's determined the day of my birth, the day of my death. And so the view that I have of God's providence uh, keeps away that, you know, that fear of what if or when. Um, I know that's in God's hands. And so. Uh, my focus is not so much on that point that God is going to take me out of this life, but it's the fact that I know I'm approaching that. So let's focus on doing today. You know what is going to prepare me. You know for when He calls me there. You know so it's not it's not something that I push out of my mind. It's not something that I'm fixated on. It's a reality that I know that's there that I'm just walking toward with a confidence, you know, that God's grace is going to sustain me in that. And I want to uh, be able to enter God's presence, you know, leaving a testimony, you know, that, that you can trust him in this, you know, that his grace is sufficient. You know, when Paul prayed, uh, Lord, take this, uh, you know, this uh, thorn in the flesh away, lots of debates about what that is, but whatever it was, God says, no, I'm not going to take this away. Instead, I'm going to give you more grace. And then Paul could say almost the unthinkable, therefore I will glory in these struggles. Because when I go through that, the grace of God is there. You know, and I've got to see that with so many other people that the time of their death was not just this bewailing, you know, the fact that they caught this disease and it took their life. It's the, you know, it's the thrill, you know, of 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 seeing a believer enter, you know, into God's presence. And uh, so I think that my approach to that has been recognizing that, you know, I don't have, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I, kid, we used to remember when we just got up and didn't think about it. Now when you get up, you have to think about it, you know, Uh, and sitting on the floor playing with the kids, you never thought about that. Now I don't sit on the floor that much, you know, because you have to think about, okay, how are you going to get up from this, (laughs) you know, and so, Uh, And and I would say really until the last year, God has blessed me with a good health. And so I've had uh, very little problems. I've had lots of energy, been able to do most anything that I've wanted. And so over the last year, with some of these things that have forced me to do something, probably the last six or eight books I've read, I've read with one eye, you know, because even though my left eye is working, it doesn't focus exactly Right. And uh, again, it just reminds me of the frailty of life, you know, and, and the psalmist says, you know, we're but a breath, you know, we're here and then we're gone. And, and but that balances with the fact that I'm not just a breath, I'm an image bearer, mm-hmm. you know, that, that God rejoices over me with singing, as Zachariah says, you know, so there is with a sense of the fleetingness of life, a confidence that 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 is a transition, you know, that it's not the end, you know, uh, it is the end of this mortal body as we know it, but in preparation for an immortal body. And so I often go, uh, and I did this in many of the funerals that I did to the First Thessalonians 4, mm-hmm. you know, that Christ has ascended into heaven. Those who belong to him are with him. When he comes back, he's bringing with them there's going to be a big celebration, you know, so there is a sense of there is a hope ahead that is more glorious than we even know how to describe. Mm-hmm.
1: That's fantastic.
3: Does the, uh, sort of the inevitability of death ever hang over you, or are you, it, it doesn't really bother you? No, so you
2: I, I wouldn't say the inevitability, you know, is a troublesome thing to me. It's a reality, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know that. Uh, and uh, I, I think my, my focus has been uh, to uh, uh, let the gospel, let the resurrection, let the presence of the Spirit, let those things balance that so that I can trust him as I go through that. I know uh, a few years ago, um, I, I, had, uh, I had driven like 16 hours one day, and Gary Jr. was with me, Ann was not with me. And I got home uh, and went to bed. And the next morning, I got up and and said, uh, well, go get a shower and I'll, I'll fix some breakfast. She came back later and I'm just wandering around. And, you know, I was completely out of it. And uh, they took me to the hospital. They thought I was having a stroke. Uh, and uh, uh, they found out I had a thing uh, called transient global amnesia for whatever reason, I have no memory of that day from eight o'clock in the morning until maybe four o'clock, my daughter came over. And I remember, and at that point, they didn't know everything that was going on. And I found myself disappointed that when I'm actually facing that, it's one thing to be with somebody else and and encourage them. It's another thing to be there. Mm -hmm. And the reality of that really gripped my heart in appreciating I've never been there before. I've never had a serious illness, nothing that would be life-changing or or perhaps threaten death. And I can't say that I was proud of the depth of my faith. Yeah. You know, and I realized, wow, you know, this this is really, really hard. Uh, and and I think that that one of the things that has helped me is the 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 many many people that I've walked through with this, and so I'm 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 probably not going to be surprised by anything that's ahead. You know, I kind of know the routine and what it looks like, and so I don't have the sense of confidence I'm going to go through this great. You know, that made me realize. You know what? Death is an enemy. It's yeah. ugly. Yeah. You know, nobody is going to look forward to that. You know, I I'm not ready to challenge death and say, okay, let's, you know, let's have a, you know, a slugfest here and see who's going to win, uh, again, we are uh, enfleshed, you know, we're, 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 we're spirits that are embodied, and we don't know existence apart from that, and so there is that, that sense of uncertainty, sure. and so all I could say is my hope and my trust is that God will give me grace to go through that. And I think that that dying well, you know, dying to the glory of God is not a a strength that anyone innately has. I think it's a grace that God gives, you know. And and so, you know, you you read some of the testimony in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know, uh, and and other situations where uh, they uh, we talked about uh, uh, Latimer and Ridley. They faced it with a sense of joy. Were they crazy? No. You know, they were grace-filled men, you know, and God enabled them at that moment to speak in a way that their death, you know, wasn't the end of the gospel, you know, but it was a seed of the gospel that it bloomed. And so, you know, it's often said, the blood of the martyrs, you know, is the seed, Mm -hmm. you know, the church. Uh, And so my hope is that I will remain faithful uh, and uh, I did a, a prayer meeting message not too long ago, and I talked about the fact of of uh, uh, wanting to be able to finish well, you know, and 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 not dishonor God, and that means a constant vigilance, you know. Because I'm older now, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I'm past all of the you know the danger points. You know, the dangers are always there, you know, and. But, but I want to be able to, you know, say with Paul, you know, fought the fight. You know, I finished the race. Now, you know, there's something laid up for me. And I, I think that can be our hope. Yeah, that was something we wanted to, uh, to bring up. Is
3: I mean, where is it easier to stumble as you age uh, versus maybe when you're younger?
2: Yeah, I, I think there are several things. I, I think one of them is to look back you know, and to feel the sense of regret of things I could have done better, things that I I should have been more discerning, you know, uh, uh, and to realize that I can't waste my life now, you know, with regrets of things that I might have done differently, that in God's province, all of those things are there. Mm -hmm. And I think on the other hand, it's not uh, wasting my time now by looking ahead being worried about the future or, or having these plans, you know, about out there. But Jesus said sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. You know, uh, we don't need to handle the past. We need, don't need to carry it with us. And uh, uh, we don't need to be fearful of what's ahead, but we live today, you know, for the glory of God. One of the things that was really helpful for me uh, when I was, I don't know, maybe 30, 35. Uh, I, I sat down and I did a personal mission statement. I sat down and I took, uh, a couple of weeks to just kind of reflect on my life. Uh, what, who are the people that influence me? What are the situations that I face that shape me? Uh, uh, what were uh, uh, pastors or, or books that I read, Christian books? I, again, I was a, a Christian going through that time uh, as a young person growing up. And I kind of put all of that together and kind of looked to see what had God providence been in my life? Mm. And how was he shaping and equipping me for where I was at that point of time? And then I sat down and said, not nah, this is what I want to be when I grow up, but if God shaped me this way, what does God want me to accomplish? And so I sat down and I put together kind of a journal sheet, you know, that, that would be a daily reminder. Writing a personal mission statement is one thing to have that on the wall or have it in the file. And I find that I did that for a long time. You know, what, what a personal mission statement does is help you clarify who you are you know, what God's made you to be, what gifts he's given you, what God wants you to be in life, and, and then to take that and embody that in a practical way. So I came up with this uh, uh, sheet, and I put the various roles as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, and so forth. And, and I had written out in, you know, six or eight words what that meant then I had a a little line in front of that that I could a plus or a minus there. Mm. So it made me look at that every day. You know, when it comes to exercise, diet, and so forth, do I get a plus or a minus? When it comes to being a pastor, do I get a plus or a minus today? And so it changed that from just being, you know, a, a document that I had developed uh, to being something that was really embodied, you know, that I could embody in my life on a, on a daily basis. And, in fact, I'm, I'm going to be meeting with somebody tomorrow, and I'm going to share that with them as a tool that they might use, and not necessarily that they'll take the template that I developed, but to say, you know what, I could do the same thing. And this gives me a record that, I, excuse me, that I can look at and say, well, you know, this is what God said to me. This is how I responded to God. You know, this is what was happening in my life in God's providence. These are the good things, the difficult things, and so I think that the the whole sense of journaling, you know, can be a very productive thing. You know, as it helps you, you know, go through life and uh, and 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 helps you accept who God made you to be and
1: what He designed you to accomplish. What do younger saints need to focus on as they get older? Well, I think they
2: need to focus on the same things that we've been talking about. You know, that that the primary thing is that they're made in the image of God, and they're designed to know and to love God, and to let the love that God pours into their heart flow out to other people to bless others. I think that's the heart of it. And and as they do that, to develop discipline. You know, one of the things I was sharing with a couple of guys recently that I was at a conference in 1980, 81 in Texas, in Dallas, and uh, lots of things happened there. But at the end of that, I said, you know, we need to go back to the Bible now and read it carefully to see if the things that we've been talking about, are they really in Scripture or have we, you know, just kind of work them in? And I went away from that, determined that I was going to consistently read the Bible. And I found this little booklet uh, from a guy in England that had a, uh, uh, a Bible reading program that you read through the Bible every year. You read through the Old Testament once, you read through the New Testament twice. I've been doing that for 40-some years now. Mm. And I can't tell you what a benefit that discipline of just reading the Scripture, you know, and the the fact is you can't read it once and get everything that it says. You know, and so I'm reading in, in John 15, I'm the I'm the true vine, and you're the branches. I say, you know what? I just read back in Isaiah 5 about the vine that didn't bear fruit, and there's a connection here. You know, and I go on to read, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Well, wait a minute, what about the manna? And mm-hmm. and, and so you begin to see a connection. And, you know, it's like at times you go to a movie, maybe a, a detective movie, and the first five minutes, there are two or three things that happen that seem totally insignificant. They meet somebody, somebody gives somebody a package, and, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Well, as the thing develops, and you say, oh, that's where, that's when, that's who. And, and that's what we really have in the scripture. You know, so when it says the seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of the serpent, what's that all about? Well, by the time you get to the end, you realize how significant that is. You know, and it all begins to uh, uh, come together, you know, and, and make
3: sense. What, um, I know you you talked about not focusing on regrets, but is there anything that you, looking back, you would kind of um, point out that you that you're willing to share obviously but that you might say you know um
2: i'd I'd like to go back and do that a little bit differently you know i've I've thought about that uh as uh, i was thinking through the questions and uh and and i think uh, a couple of things it would be better attention to my health Mm -hmm. Uh, even though god blessed me with good health i wasn't always a good steward of that uh and i i think that that it would have been more glorifying to God if I would have given more attention to that. And, and again, part of that is the press of responsibilities. You know, when you're a pastor, you know, uh, per or four hundred people and you've got six or eight, you know, uh, uh, presentations to get ready. I don't have an hour to go to the gym every day. You know, I hope to get there a couple of times, two or three times a week. Uh, And I think that, that had I disciplined that better, you know, then uh, perhaps some of the things the struggles I'm going through would be less now. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think also the balance of all of these things in life. You know, did I give too much attention to the needs of a family in the church rather than my own family? Mm-hmm. And I think of one situation particularly where there was a uh, a group that my wife loved all of her life, and they were coming to Radio City. In, uh, uh, in New York City, and we had tickets to go to that. She was really looking forward to this. And right before that happened, there was a death in the church, and I couldn't go, you know. And and there are probably, you know, a hundred major things like that throughout my life that that because of the responsibility of ministry, uh, and at times, I'm not sure if I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know, would it have been better to say, okay, I can come you know, after that, and, uh, uh, and so I look back and say, I'm not sure the balance of that was always right.
3: Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you've, you've walked us through the CrossFit thing. What kind of, as you look back, what do you see as like your legacy over your life?
2: Well, I, you know, I, I think the, uh, uh, the legacy has been the people, you know, that I've, shared uh uh, this fellowship with both in terms of family you know you want to see your family your grandkids I'm glad that you know we can come to church and I have my daughter there and I have our grandkids there uh and uh you you want to see that one of the things that I am so blessed with is that on my mother's side my my grandmother was the godliest woman i've ever known mm-hmm. my grandfather was a country preacher a vocational preacher 35 years just the gentlest sweetest man you'd ever know i had a mother and father you know that that loved god loved us you know i'm the third generation you know and uh, god saved me when i was a young boy and you know god gave me a godly wife and we have three children you know, and we're seeing the, the, the truth of that in, in, in Gary Jr.'s life, we're seeing that in, in, uh, in Gretchen's life, and we're seeing that in her children, you know, our, our one daughter in Charlotte, somewhat different, and different story for another day, uh, and, and now my hope is that with our grandkids, you know, that uh, it won't be just they were made to go to church, you know, but the truth of that will grip their heart. You know, so I want to see the legacy there. You know, brothers and sisters that I have, and larger families, being able to to ha- have a, a a continuing influence there. But I think also with me, the family has been the churches that I pastored. You know, and so last night I had a call from a lady. Uh, that was the first church I pastored in Ohio, you know, that she still reaches out to me and I still minister to her. Uh, and uh, uh, and when, when I preached last Sunday at Faith Community, my wife uh, put the link on Facebook and dozens of people from New York and South Carolina, North Carolina, Ohio, Illinois, places that I've ministered uh, in each one of those. There are people that we still talk to you know, that uh, we still minister to. Uh, Dear friends that are probably the closest friends that we had in South Carolina. I just did the funeral for the wife a few months ago. You know, and it's like uh, uh, those people that have been under my ministry that are continuing to walk strong. That's an encouragement, you know, and a legacy. And the fact is that, you know, if you build houses, you can go back and point out to the 17 houses, the 105 houses, the three houses that you built. When you're in pastoral ministry, you don't you don't see the same kind of fruit. Much of what you do, you never know about. Mm-hmm. You know, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 people will comment on a sermon they like but they won't tell you one they don't like. You know, uh, uh, I, I heard the story of uh, one guy that uh, uh, said the, the guy went out and told the pastor, he said, I just want you to know every one of the sermons you repeat are better than the next one. And uh, he said, well, thank you very much. And then he began to think about it and he said, you know what, I'm not sure that was really a compliment, you know, so, uh, uh, you know, but so is life. <laughs>
1: this is my favorite question on here. What are some things that you look forward to when uh, when the Lord calls you home? Uh,
2: I I think it's the limitations uh, that we have in uh, uh, the struggles against sin. You know, I don't have to struggle anymore with that. You know the the, the uh, I think Thomas uh, Boston wrote the fourfold estate of man, and he talked about you know. Adam, when he was created, was not able to sin. Then when man sinned, he was not able not to sin. Then when you're redeemed, you're you're able not to sin. And when you're finally glorified, you are not able to sin. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, passe non peccare is the term I use, not able to sin. Uh, and, and being free from that. Uh, uh, with me, it's not so much freedom from suffering that I've gone through, I really haven't faced a lot of that, but I, I think it's that. I think it also is the freedom from the darkness and the, um, uh, and the evil that we live in the midst of. I think of Lot, you know, how yeah. he lived, you know, in this miserable situation and constantly struggling with that. I think also the sense the, of being free from further responsibilities you know, that I no longer have to, you know, uh, care for this or that or the other thing, whether it's family or finances or health or, you know, whatever. Uh, and a recognition that I, uh, there's going to be the rest, you know, that I've been looking for. You know, and again, my view is, uh, you're all familiar with the, the tomb, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Uh, I rewrote that and said, heaven's not my home, I'll just be passing through. You know, that, that heaven, it's not, I'm looking to go up in the clouds and float, you know, with a harp. Uh, it, that's temporary until Christ comes back and there's a the resurrection yeah. of the body and there's a new heaven and a new earth. So I see this glorious consummation ahead. And, uh, and you know, that kind of is time to get ready, get prepared for that. So when, you know, when I think about that, that's really what I look forward to, that that as Paul said, I'd rather depart and be with the Lord, that's better by far. Hmm. But he says, it's more needful for you than I remain. So when God decides that I'm not needed here anymore, you know, and uh, I close my eyes in death, uh, I'm going to be with the Lord, you know, and then I'm getting ready for the big celebration, you know, and that's going to be better Uh, And again, there's some great joys in life. And God has blessed me in so many ways. I don't want to undercut them. But we haven't seen anything yet. You know, I'm looking forward. Uh, I I often quote the verse from John 17. I'm looking forward to see the glory of Christ. That's not shrouded by, you know, our looking through this dark glass. And he says in John 17, in his uh, the context of the high priestly prayer, I want those that you've given me to be with me where I am, to see the glory that I had with you before the, you know, the beginning of everything, you know, and so I think that's the hope, is this, uh, the, the, this perichoretic love of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that we get some taste of that now, it's going to become more complete, you know, and we're going to see things not by faith, you know, but we're going to see things as they are, Mm. you know, and he says that in first John, you know, I'm going to see things, you know, not through the stark glass, but we're going to see things as they really are.
3: Mm. Amen. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, share with our
2: listeners before we wrap up? Well, I, I think that the reality is we are surrounded by a culture that worships death, that promotes death, uh, and uh, we have a battle to fight here. That's one of the things that I'll appreciate when I don't have to fight that battle anymore, but we ought to be those who are fighting for life, you know, the life of the unborn. We ought to be fighting for the life of of uh, now older people that are deemed, they no longer have life that has value. And so we're going to give them a pill. We're going to provide a path that they can determine, no, I'm not going any farther. If you look at what comes across in the movies, you know, when I was a boy and I watched, uh, you know, uh, uh, The Lone Ranger, you know, he'd shoot somebody and they'd fall over. You know, now you watch one of these scenes, it is brutal, it is gory. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, it's not one, it's over and over again. And uh, I think that there is this, this kind of symbiotic relationship of embracing death. You know, and you see some of the, the signs on people's cars, you know, of, of, of some of the, uh, the rock music and the lyrics that are there. And I think you have no clue. Death is nobody's friend. It's not to be celebrated. It's not to be embraced. It's not a game, you know, but it is the reality. And again, I read this morning, uh, uh, Matthew 25, you know, the, the sheep and the goats, you know, on the one hand, you know, enter you blessed into, you know, blessed eternity, but for the others depart from me that are cursed into the outer darkness where there's the wailing and the gnashing of teeth. And I, I think my one message would be, in fact, what, uh, 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 who was the great preacher in London, Martin Lloyd-Jones, yeah. he was once asked, if you could give one message that you would preach to the whole world that they will hear you, what would that be? And his message was, flee from the wrath to come. You know, And that would certainly be my message. Death has nothing to offer. You know, and it's one day going to be destroyed. And so our posture ought to be resistance, contention, you know, uh, exposing the emptiness of that and embracing life, you know, life that God gives us and the eternal life that we have in Christ. You know, that's why Jesus could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father through me. And, And so... I think our great challenge is to embrace that life, you know, and not to let, you know, the, the, uh, all of the things that surround the culture of death, what you've called death works, not let that, you know, shape our path. we gotta, we got to resist that and embrace life. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you, uh, Pastor Scott,
3: for yeah. joining us and taking the time to record this podcast with us. And thank you, listener, for listening to Death and Glory Podcast. We hope that this episode edified you. Please take a moment to go to your favorite podcast platform and like and review the episode and even share it with your friends.
0: To Canaan's land, I'm on my way Where the soul of man never dies My darkest night will turn to day The soul of man never dies Dear friends, there'll be no sad farewell, there'll be no tear dim nights Where all is peace and joy and love, where the soul of man never dies A rose is growing there for me, where the soul of man never dies and I will spend eternity where the soul of man never dies Dear friends, there'll be no sad farewell There'll be no tear dim nights Where all is peace and joy and love Where the soul of man never dies